Magazines of Monsters, episode 40, The Mummy from 1959. Egypt, 4,000 years ago. A land of strange rituals and savage cruelty. Many of their secrets are still hidden from the eyes of 20th century man. Secrets that protect their dead. Supernatural powers that once released can live again in our modern world. The Mummy, the Living Dead, bringing terror and death across 4,000 years. He was a high priest of the great god Karnak until one night he attempted the ultimate in blasphemy. He was condemned to guard forever the princess he had loved and protect her from intruders. Go now. Go and destroy those who desecrated the tomb of our princess. He who robs the graves of Egypt dies. who robs the graves of Egypt, dies. Hey everybody, Billy D, aka Doc Strange here, back with another episode of the show, and this is going to be a good one, and one of my guests I've had on previously for two other recordings, I believe, so this will be a third, I think this is the only person I've had on at least three times, other than maybe Herm, <laughs> but uh, hey, uh, we're going to talk about The Mummy from 1959, it's uh, Karen from Planet 8, how are you Karen? Hey Billy, doing great, thanks for uh, having me back. Yeah, you and I have talked about tons of different movies, and you know the last one we talked about was a fantasy film, Excalibur. That was back, I think, ooh, was that around like uh, Thanksgiving time? I think, wasn't it? I think you're right. Yeah, that was yeah. a lot of fun. Oh, <laughs> we had a lot. <laughs> the three of us had a lot to say about Excalibur. <laughs> yeah, that one was a blast. I actually, uh, now that I'm just sitting here, even just mentioning the name, I feel like I'm gonna go back and watch it. It's been since you know. <laughs> October, November since I watched it, but uh, yeah, that was a fun one to record for sure. I enjoyed that one a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's always a, a lot of fun when you have one of those movies that, you know, you think, gosh, am I the only person who really loves this movie? And then it's like, oh, no, I found two other people who really enjoy <laughs> it just as much as me. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that was that was great fun. Well, you can say that about me when you talk about anything pretty much from Hammer. 
and <laughs> especially when it's in the horror and sci-fi uh, genres, those uh, films. You and I just talked a little bit too, like you said, you know, the sci-fi uh, equator mass. You know, mm-hmm. I enjoy all three of those films. I haven't seen the television one yet, and people tell me that one's even better. So I'll have to check that one out. But I just actually watched another one. Um, I'm not going to give away what it was on the air here, though. I'll tell you what it was uh, <laughs> when we stop recording, because okay. I might talk about it with somebody down the road. So I don't want to spoil anything yet. But it was an interesting film. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a bait and switch from what the movie poster is. But once I got over that, it was not bad. It was actually a fun film. So uh, I'll hmm. definitely have to mention that to you. So maybe you can uh, take a peek, too, because it's free and just roaming around out there <laughs> yeah you'll have to let me know but yeah i think um, i've mentioned you know equator mass in the pit or mm, five million years to earth yeah is a, a big favorite of mine and you know i've seen um oh shoot uh i think the first equator mass is it equator mass the equator mass experiment i know i've seen the first yeah. film i haven't seen mm-hmm. the second and and like you i haven't seen any of the tv Quater mass, so I'm gonna have to, uh, I'm gonna have to fix that one of these days. Yeah, I love all three of those films. I think the third one's definitely the best, though. But it's probably mm-hmm. had the best cast, so that yeah. probably helped immensely. But yeah, a couple of different people, uh, definitely people uh, from the UK, have told me that they believe the television is, you know, the television serials or whatever they called them over there. I'm, I'm not sure if it was serials or what they called, but they, they said they're excellent. So I think they they can be found here and there too. So, yeah, I definitely got to uh, got to take a peek at those. But yeah, we're here to talk about the Mummy from 1959, and this is a really really solid film. Uh, again, we had we just been talking, and I'm not sure why it doesn't seem to get as much uh, love as you know the Frankenstein or uh, Dracula films or anything like that. But it's a really really good film. And, you know, we also said how it kind of borrowed uh, elements from a couple of different universal films and mm-hmm. smushed them together. And, you know, we think they got all the good parts and smushed them together really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're going to if you're going to copy or steal, however you want to look at it, you might as well steal from the best. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, they took a lot of aspects from, uh, you know, some of the the later mummy movies, which really had the mummy in it. Um, mm-hmm. I think like the mummy's hand and the mummy's tomb and, and, uh, some of the stuff that you see in this mummy film where, um, you know, they have the, uh, the mummy story being this story of revenge and the mummy going around and, you know, and exacting his revenge, having this, this other character who is sort of, um, guiding him or, or almost controlling him the whole thing with the mummy being transferred out of Egypt to another land, in this case, England. But I think in the, the uh, universal films, it was in America, in uh, Massachusetts, I mm-hmm. believe. I checked my notes here. Um, and then there's this aspect of the swamp, which was another thing that was taken out of those universal films. So they, they mm-hmm. you know, sort of took all these different ingredients and, and put them together. But... Uh, in this hammer version, it's a, it's a really solid film. Like you said, we, and you know, we talked a little bit, um, before we recorded about the cast. Mm. Um, and like you said, you know, they, you've got the cream of the crop, right? Because you, you have Christopher Lee as the mummy and you've got Peter Cushing as his, uh, 
the protagonist, uh, John Banning. And then mm-hmm. you have a bunch of other actors who are also very solid in all their roles. Yeah, yeah. One of them, the guy that was the, uh, you know, the master of the mummy almost that was directing him, uh, George Pastel. And he has been in a few different Hammer films that I've seen. And he's always one of those, like, you know, kind of uh, evil-like characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's pretty good, too. And, you know, people might recognize him. And, of course, Michael Ripper's in this one. The guy that was in yeah. more Hammer films than anybody. <laughs> Lo- love it when he's in films, too. And then there was a, a guy, another guy, George Woodbridge. He was a, a local cop. Uh, he was in this one, too. He's another one that he's probably been in at least three or four Hammer films that I can remember, if not more. So, yeah, some definitely some familiar faces uh but, you know, obviously, like you said, the strongest of those being, you know, Peter Cushing, the main character. And then, uh, you know, our monster is uh, Christopher Lee. So when you have a cast like that, you're you're already uh, a leg up on a lot of other productions. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think any time uh, either Cushing or Lee is on screen, you know, your attention is uh, immediately drawn to them. And when the two of them are together, you know, they just had a... a a chemistry together, no matter what they they were doing. And even though, you know, Lee, when he is with uh, Cushing, is is in the form of the mummy and is mute, um, Lee does so much good work with his physicality and with his eyes. You can really, they do several close-ups on his face as the mummy, and you can see his eyes. And you know, mm-hmm. he either shows like fury or when he sees the woman who he thinks is maybe the reincarnation of his princess, Ananka, you know, then he sees her and you see like longing and he's just able to put so much expression mm-hmm. um, just in his eyes. You know, it was it was yeah. amazing. Yeah, you get some emotion there just from, you know, like you said, his eyes and oh, it's just he, he does a great job for a character that doesn't even have any speaking lines in it, but you know, that's, uh, that's Christopher Lee. He was one of those, you know, top notch guys that could pull that off. And yeah, we had, you know, behind the camera too, you had all the, you know, hammer big names there as well. Of course, mm-hmm. dire- director Terrence Fisher, who's, you know, widely regarded as, you know, the, the best director hammer ever had all the big movies you think of typically off the top of your head. When you think hammer, they were pretty much all, you know, directed by Terrence Fisher because he was a really right. good director. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then written by Jimmy Sangster, another one of those names. He's, you know, done us a lot of screenplays for uh, Hammer as well. And then Michael Carreras, who was, you know, the company guy producing, you know, his family actually, you know, were the owners, I believe, of Hammer there for a while. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Nelson Keyes, another uh, name you see there. But one name that really threw me off about this one, because when I think Hammer and I think of their music, it's not this guy that did this movie, but the music score was excellent for this movie. You know, I usually always think of James Bernard because he's usually the Dracula and Frankenstein and, you know, all those movies. But this mm-hmm. one was a guy called uh, Franz Reisenstein. And I had never heard of this guy before. And he did one other uh, horror movie, Circus of Horrors, that I think Christopher Lee was in that one, too, if I remember correctly. But other than that, he didn't do much else. And then I think he might have got a job as like, you know working at some kind of, you know, prestigious academy or something like that. So I guess that's going to take you right out of uh, writing for some, you know, low-budget <laughs> films. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs this anymore? Mm-hmm. Don't blame them there. <laughs> that is interesting. But, yeah, the, the film score is is excellent. Mm. Mm, um, it's incredible. 
I I have to admit I didn't go back and and check on that, but uh, yeah, the score is really good. It's really appropriate, um, very fitting to the mm -hmm. film. I, I I liked it a lot, and I yeah I didn't realize, you know, it's sort of like like you were talking before about Jimmy Sangster and Michael Carreras, Terrence Fisher. It, it to me it was like oh yeah this is like the Hammer Machine. Mm -hmm. at its finest though right you know yeah. it's like yes you could say these people you know are basically always you know these are the ones they're putting out this product and they do it and they they know how to create the product but I, I wouldn't say that in like a negative way it was like it was a well-oiled machine and they knew what they were doing and did it well you know so mm -hmm. yeah it is a little surprising that they had somebody else come in and do the music, but uh, it was a good choice. Yeah, the guy did excellent work. And then uh, makeup was a little bit different, too. Like the uh, earlier, I think a lot of the early hammers were a guy named uh, Phil Leakey did the makeup. And this one was Roy Ashton, who pretty much from the early 60s on was the hammer guy, too. So mm -hmm. that was a different name between now and, you know. The first couple of, you know, like Curse of Frankenstein and Horror of Dracula, they were uh, Phil Leakey. And then this one, like it says, Roy Ashton. I think he pretty much was the guy from here on out. But yeah, those are the two names there that, uh, you know, popped out at me that I thought, wait a minute, they're not as, uh, as the same as the first, you know, two, three, four big hits they had out there. But like, you know, like we just said the music for this was incredible. I thought everything was pitch perfect as far as the music goes in this one. So all credit to that guy. Yeah. Friends Reisenstein. Yeah, for sure. But uh, all right, so why don't we just get into talking about the film here then, Karen? I mean, this one is, it's interesting for me. It's almost like two films in one because you get, you know, everything that happens like, you know, air quotes in the now. And then at some point during the movie here, we'll talk about a flashback scene. It's almost mm -hmm. like a little mini, mini, mini movie <laughs> inside the movie. Right. Which is, a, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it doesn't really take you out of what's going on right there either. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good job there. But. Yeah, like we said, the music and the title cards that pop on and the mummy and it has all this Egyptian, you know, hieroglyphics and stuff in the background. And again, the intro music is amazing. And it, you know, opens in 1895 in Egypt, of course, at an archaeological site, because that's all they do in Egypt, apparently. is <laughs> There's this archaeologist running around there 24-7. Right. <laughs> mm, yeah, and they're at this tomb and, you know, they start to, they're trying to get inside a, into in, actually inside the tomb and they find you know like a relic outside it and, you know we meet a couple of the uh you know interesting characters that we're gonna see here at the beginning of the film at least and you know one of those is uh our buddy here uh felix aylmer i think he would pronounce his name Almer, uh, I, think, maybe? I think so yeah and, and yeah he's definitely one of those actors that when you see him it's like oh yeah i've seen this guy in other films before Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and he was Stephen banning and we're gonna get to know him as uh you know peter cushing john banning as his dad mm -hmm. and then uh uncle joseph is there too that's uh raymond huntley and uh you know they, they find this relic right outside of you know the tomb entrance where they're trying to blast into and you know they like uh oh this is exactly what we're looking for and uh they do get inside the tomb and that part is really creepy <laughs> i really like that part a lot yeah, it's really funny too watching this film now, and you realize like I I, I kind of wonder like what the reception was back then because now 
of course, we would kind of see this as like, wow, these guys are really presumptuous and not very respectful of the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like they're <laughs> like, hey, we're, you know, we're archaeologists. It's our job. We're just going to go in and open up this tomb and get all the artifacts out and do all this stuff. And, and you know, when, uh, 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 who is it, Mehmet, Mehmet Bey, Mehmet Bey, yeah. uh, the, the guy who winds up being uh, in control of the mummy, you know, he comes up and he kind of warns them like, hey, you know, there's a curse on the tomb. And if you guys defile it, you know, you're you're going to be cursed. And they mm-hmm. kind of poo-poo him away. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you kind of like from a modern perspective could say, well, you know, he's he's not wrong in the sense that. Do they have any business really doing this? Are they they're not very respectful of the people there and their cultures and stuff. Um, I mean, if they were, we wouldn't have a movie, I guess. So <laughs> that would be a problem. But yeah. uh, but it is kind of interesting that, you know, the way things change over time. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene later in the film, too, with uh, with Cushing and mm-hmm. Bay, where, uh, you know, they kind of talk about yeah. the, the role of the archaeologist, which was also interesting from a modern perspective. But, yeah, that's, uh, a, that's, that's a very good scene, too. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like I said, they get into the tomb and, you know, uh, the uncle and the dad are in there and they're uh, kind of like rifling through everything. And the uncle's like, oh, I'll go tell John because, you know, we forgot to mention John Banning, you know, Peter Cushing's character. He's stuck out in a tent because he broke his leg a few days earlier. And, right. uh, you know, the, the uncle says to the dad, like, hey, you need to send him back to a hospital to see a doctor and get his leg set or it's going to, you know. <sighs> It's going to mend and it's going to be, you know, crooked and he's going to be walking, you know, you know, with a limp the rest of his right. life. And, and he's just like, I'll just let him figure that out for himself. If he wants to go back, he can. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know, he's an archaeologist. He's going to be like, no way. I'm not going back. I want to see all this cool stuff. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, you know, yeah, sure. Maybe I'll have a, a limp, but I got to see all the stuff right mm. away. And it's just <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, these guys are too dedicated to their <laughs> to their yeah. uh, pursuits here yeah for sure and then you know the uncle joe does leave the tomb and that leaves uh you know the dad in there by himself um steven and he all of a sudden lets out this scream and you're like what's going on and uh, joe comes back in and he's just laying there and you know kind of babbling to himself as if he's had this like horrible experience and like a mental breakdown and you know they can't piece together what happened and you know we just fast forward you know a few days and or maybe even weeks and they've gotten everything they want out of the tomb and then they seal it up and you know back to england we go and (laughs) i love the scene like hammer one thing they're always good for is usually always a good pub scene sometimes multiple pub scenes (laughs) and i i absolutely love when it has the the two drunk guys in the pub and you know they're talking about transporting a uh, uh some boxes for you know, an Egyptian oh. guy to his house. And it's like, uh oh, we can already see what uh, avenue this is going down. And the two right. of them, their dialogue is hilarious. And then they go out to the cart and the one guy's like, I'll drive. You're drunk. And he goes, it's my cart. I'll drive. You're drunk, too. And he's like, yeah. And he goes over and starts petting the horse. And he says to the horse, man's best friend. And the other guy says, 
it's a dog. And he goes, no, it's not. It's a horse. I'm not that drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I don't know if that was ad-libbed or if that was Jimmy Sangster, but I love that. That makes me laugh every time I hear that. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But it's yeah, like, pub, pub scenes are that's that's hammer one on one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, mm. and you, and you kind of wonder, like, is this the best he could hire to take these precious, <laughs> you know, the mummy and all these other precious things back to his house? It's like, oh, my. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And you see right away that the thing they have on the back of the cart is, you know, just about the size of a really big person. So, <laughs> so we, we know what's in there, but. Um, we also see then that, you know, uh, Peter Cushing's father, uh, Stephen, he had been committed to a, uh, you know, a, 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 like a, a rest care facility, you know, for elderly or people that are just, you know, like I said, had a breakdown or something like that. And he actually, you know, was almost like, you know, not even responsive to people. But at one point he does kind of like snap out of it. And Peter Cushing, you know, he goes to see him and he warns him about the mummy. And Cushing kind of just blows him off like, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you know, you're 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 not well. And he basically calls him a fool. But, you know, later that night, he gets a feeling something's going on when they're transporting the mummy and they're transporting it right by that uh, nursing home. And he starts freaking out and smashing the windows and going crazy. And the two drunk guys think somebody's trying to get out that they think is going to kill them. So <laughs> they start whipping up the horses and. Off goes the crate into the uh, swamp there, and there goes the mummy into the swamp. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's crazy. It uh, it was interesting that yeah he goes to visit his dad, and his dad mm -hmm. is is basically uh, you know a, a vegetable, but but then he you know he kind of snaps out of it to warn him, and there's yeah some sort of mystical connection between him and the mummy and he's yeah. he has some sort of awareness of what's going on which uh yeah it was kind of spooky the way that was you know put across it was that, well done that connection was made there yeah like a super something supernatural there yeah mm -hmm. that was really good and then <laughs> the next day you know you have the the police and uh, some people from the town trying to dig out the crate and they're like, yeah, it's not happening. And then again, there's that, uh, our buddy, uh, that Mahatma Bay who shows up and, uh, says, Oh, there was some Egyptian relics in there, but he acts as if, uh, he's not worried about it at all. And later that night he shows up with the crazy scroll and reads from the scroll and mm -hmm. out comes, uh, our buddy, Christopher Lee, the mummy from the swamp, which looks really, really crazy and creepy. I love that scene too. That's a really good horror movie scene. It's a really well done scene, the way he emerges from the water. And I, I think it was really smart of them. I don't know if, if they thought about doing it for this reason, but because he comes out of the swamp, he's all dark and muddy looking. Mm -hmm. So instead of being, you know, white or, or even gray from the, the uh, you know, from bandages being, and stuff yeah, being entombed. <laughs> He's he's instead he's you know he's very dark looking and so he's he's got a very different look from a lot of the other mummies that we've seen you know mm -hmm. uh, it's much more sinister looking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. He like you said, yeah, like the the sequels, I, they're more of what you would think of when you think of a mummy or like the Universal films where it's you know 
they're kind of dusty looking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I've been sitting around in these bandages and so they're a little off white, but no, mm. he's, he's really dark and, and dingy and just like, uh, that combination of, you know, he, well, you know, in a sense, it's like he has been buried because now mm -hmm. he's been under the earth. He's been in the swamp. So, you know, he went from his sort of pristine sarcophagus to being buried under the earth. And so his his undead nature is even more. Uh, it's 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 much more um, called out, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then our buddy Mahetmet, he kind of orders him to uh, start taking out one by one the uh, defilers from the tomb and. He goes right to the uh, nursing home after uh, uh, our buddy uh, um, Stephen. Stephen Stephen Banning. Yeah, and they have at this point they have him in a padded room because he freaked out, went crazy, and started smashing stuff. So, you know, they think he might be a harm to himself. So they put him in this padded room where you have to hit a buzzer to like let people know you need something. It's almost like soundproof too, I guess. And mm -hmm. I I love that scene where oh, you can, man. yeah, you can tell he knows something's going on outside, and then he sees a shadow by the window, and that is creepy. Well, and and the great thing about this, and one of the reasons I I love this mummy so much more than all the other films, is the the pure unstoppable nature of Christopher Lee's mummy. You know, mm. he's like a Terminator mummy. Mm -hmm. the, the way he he just rips, he breaks the window, he rips the metal grating off that window and jumps down into that room and grabs Stephen by the throat and, and with one hand just strangles him. And I mean, there's nothing slow or plodding or, you know, the old mummies in the, uh, the Universal films, you know, it was almost a joke, like, you, you know, you'd have to trip on a branch or something, you know, <laughs> you'd have to yeah. fall down in order for the mummy <laughs> to catch up with you, you know. Mm -hmm. um, no, this this mummy is a brute. I mean, he's he's big, he's strong, and he's, he's pretty quick, mm -hmm. you know. He rips through that stuff and gets in that room and dispenses with him pretty darn yeah. quick. Yeah, that's that seems rough because you feel bad for the old guy because there's nowhere for him to go to even try to get away or defend himself or anything. You know, as soon as that mummy rips the bars open and, you know, kicks in that grating and comes in, it's over. It's like, oh, yeah. wow, that's a, some it, really fear there. And the, and the really pathetic thing is because he's so panicked, he's he's in such a, a frantic state of mind uh, he has either forgets or or just can't think to use the buzzer so mm -hmm. he's like pounding on the door but like you said it's it's all soundproofed mm -hmm. so nobody can hear him yeah and they have like a little hearing to say like you know obviously it was person or persons unknown that you know killed his father and of course you know right away uh peter cushing there john banning he thinks like I, he wants to figure out what's going on here mm -hmm. and he gets his, you know uncle there to help too and they're going through uh, all the paperwork and this and that his father has to try to find some kind of a clue as to who maybe would have even wanted him dead and of course they can't come up with anything and 
you know, they're there looking at all this paperwork and it's like getting late. And uh, Uncle Joe's like, well, I'm going to go to bed. And <laughs> he steps out of the room and you know, goes uh, to go up the stairs. And wow, <laughs> again, Lee comes smashing right through these two huge wooden doors. So even if they were, you know, barely being held on by a thread, it still looks pretty good. Like that's a good scene there. Oh, man, that scene is so impressive when you see him knock those doors. And and I did, even though there wasn't a lot of great background material floating around either in, in the books I had or on the web, I, I did read one thing. Now, it could be completely pure rumor. It could be totally made up. But I did uh, read somewhere that supposedly in that scene where, where Lee breaks down the doors that... Um, a uh, technician had forgotten and had bolted the doors. And when Lee came through and, and broke the doors down, he actually dislocated his shoulder. Wow. Uh, so I That's know crazy. There, there was some comments here and there that, that he really disliked this role, that it was very uncomfortable that he got powder burns because, you know, he shot numerous times uh, in mm -hmm. the film. Uh, but that's that was by far the worst thing that I heard uh, as far as uh, the, the amount of pain that he went through uh, for, yeah. the, for the role of the mummy. And yeah, I did Christopher go back was and I, I was just going to say, I went back and looked at that scene a couple of times and it does seem like maybe his like his left shoulder is like his arm is hanging a little bit in that Different. scene. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And well, we know Cushing and Lee, they were both gamers. They were doing a oh, lot yeah. of their own stunts and things sometimes. And they weren't ones to, you know, shy away from doing stuff like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was pretty much fact there, you know, even if it's, you know, maybe somebody that was on the set, you know, obviously, you know, this movie was made in 1959. There's not a lot of people that would have been on a set here and, making movies back then that are still with us, but yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But I mean, and you look at the budget for this film, it was 125,000 pounds. That was it. It's like, <laughs> so for that amount of money and when you watch this movie, you, you're going to be blown away. I just thought of that out of the blow. Like what, how, like, how did they, I don't understand how they ever did all this. It's just magic, I guess. But <laughs> so, yeah, so we're getting to the point where, you know, they're trying to, well, what happens was the mummy kills the Uncle Joe, you know, strangles him right there. Yeah. And then as he's walking out, you know, Cushing, you know, shoots him a couple of times and then shoots at him a few more times. And, of course, the police come and he's trying to tell them they shot at a guy and this and that. And they're like, you know, yeah, sure you did, pal. Like, they don't, <laughs> don't believe him right. at all. And it's interesting because they're just like, sure. And, you know, eventually the I think the guy might be from Scotland Yard or something like that that came in or from London. Um, he uh he starts doing his own little investigation here. But at some point there, then we do see, you know, uh, Peter Cushing. He does tell this uh, policeman, you know, about where this all came from. Like, because he thinks it is a mummy that's doing this, even though they think he's crazy and they don't believe him. And he's like, hey, listen, there's, you know, some facts here behind, you know, the dig we were at. And this is how things went. And, you know, they go into the flashback to ancient Egypt. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was saying. It's kind of like a little mini movie. It seems like it's a half hour long but it is you know more than probably five or ten minutes long but it seems like it's you know a third of the movie is this flashback you know we see how uh there was this princess ananka who uh looks exactly like peter cushing's uh 
I, I'm assuming it's his wife in this movie, Isabel Banning. Yeah, uh, played I, by. I, that's yeah. what I thought. It was his yeah. wife. Yeah, Yvonne Fernot, and she's a, a dead ringer for Princess Ananka. And this princess, uh, yeah, she died, and uh, apparently Christopher Lee had a thing for her, and he was a uh, uh, like a high priest, Karis. And they do these crazy, insane, and I need to do my homework, I guess, and do some research because I, I didn't know anything like this was part of any kind of burial and ritual and ceremony and stuff, but people are beheaded, and I mean, those are really like, again, 1959, those are crazy scenes, even though some of the stuff's off camera, but you know, you really see like swords swinging, you just don't see the heads flying. That's just, yeah. that's wild. It was it was great stuff. Well, and and you know it made me think about. It's funny because I I'm reading a book about Charlton Heston right now, mm. and uh, it made me think about like you know the big epics films from that time, like Ten Commandments was in 1956. Mm -hmm. So I think people were really into all the Egyptian stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <They> were, <laughs> but but yeah, they did really. I mean the the work in this movie to kind of recreate the scenes. I mean, sure, I'm, I'm sure it's got a lot of um, inaccuracies and stuff, but, but what they did do um, looked impressive, at least to me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. The, the stuff you're talking about as far as, you know, um, with the servants and everything. I mean, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I have seen that represented in so many other movies that I just assume that that actually happened where they would kill the servants and bury them in the tomb. Um, that also, uh, you know, at, at one point after um, Kairos is caught trying to bring Ananka back to life, mm -hmm. they have that scene where they cut his tongue out. Oh, <laughs> and I, I did read that I guess that scene was actually more graphic, but they cut the footage mm -hmm. because the, the British film board said, uh-uh, you're not, you can't go that far. So I mm -hmm. guess it, it maybe was a little more gruesome. But you notice when, when they're cutting his tongue out, the two guards, there's like one guy holding him, the other guy's got the tongs and he's doing the cutting. Mm -hmm. The guy who does the cutting he flinches he's like he does it and he he like flinches like he's really doing it you know yeah yeah it's really it's a really good scene is it i mean first and foremost it's nasty because you know exactly what they're doing like it's a shot where it's from behind lee yeah so you know you don't see what they're doing but you know obviously exactly what they're doing and then the whole time you know cushing is narrating saying about what's mm -hmm. going on as well but yeah it's it's a nasty looking scene and again i'm just thinking to myself Man, people were savages in 1959, man. They were like they were like willing to do anything in movies. And this is like after there was a code and everything for films. It's not like this was a pre-code film where you could do anything you wanted. It was like, wow, I can't believe they got away with that. There you know, there's certain things we we've gotten much more graphic in films nowadays and we have CGI and all this stuff. But there are certain things in these films that as I go back and watch them are maybe more suggested, but st maybe stick with me more. So things like that scene with the tongue cutting, even though I don't see any Oof. blood or anything, mm -hmm. it still bothers me because of, you yeah. know, what's suggested, how the actors act. And there's also a scene um, 
which we'll get to later on, uh, where someone's back is broken, which Whoa. bothered me quite a bit as well. Um, and it, uh, there's something to be said for, you know, the art of suggestion and also actors being able to express horror and disgust and things like that, which, you know, impact the audience. So I don't think you always have to show everything. Sometimes it's more effective in what you don't show. Yeah, for real. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. You know, that's just, I think that's a, a lost art form right there. I think just because mm -hmm. you have the ability to show something doesn't mean you should or it makes it better. But yeah, so that's a, that's a great, you know, that's, that's kind of how it ends, you know, with Cushing narrating this flashback, how, you know, the mummy was buried alive. And, you know, obviously we know that's who's running around now as well. And the, the policeman's still kind of like, yeah, that's a great story and all, pal, but I don't believe a mummy's running around <laughs> killing anybody, you know? So Cushing's just like, all right, man. He's like, well, I just want you to know, I think I'm going to be next. So, you know, of course that's, he is the only one left from the trio that went in there and, you know, defiled the tomb and all that. So, you know, he is right and he is next. But uh, at some point, the policeman does uh, ask around, you know, or ask around town and, you know, talks to people and all the witnesses of, you know, things that have been going on. And, you know, the two drunk guys with the card and their uh, our buddy Michael Ripper was a uh, he's listed as a poacher in the uh, credits <laughs> because uh, apparently he just uh, kills uh, little animals for their uh, skin or the food. And then, you know, all he does is hang out at the pub, too. And and booze with the rest of the guys. But, you know, the, the policeman talks to him, too. And then he finally comes back to, uh, you know, Banning and says, hey, you know, uh, what I think he says to him, I was all for having you certified this morning as, you know, he's crazy. But he's like, I, I, I'm starting to believe a little bit of your story here. Yeah, it's kind of funny because he's he's doesn't say exactly what he learned other than that he he found out you know, Bay is like setting up house down the road, but he said, oh, I talked to some people and I, I think maybe you're on to something. And oh, by the mm -hmm. way, there's an Egyptian fellow. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, say what? Uh -huh, yeah. And then, you know, Banning's like, uh, well, we need to go talk to this guy. So the cop's kind of like, hey, listen, you leave the police work to me. But, you know, Banning does go up to his house and says, hey, you know, I'm your neighbor. You know, uh, you're new here. I came to visit you and give you a little neighborly call. And that was one of the scenes you alluded to earlier where, you know, it starts out nice and cordial, like, hi, new neighbor. And mm -hmm. it, it quickly devolves into a lot of back and forth. And, you know, Cushing, you can tell he's really trying to, like, needle him to get him to reveal, you know, why he's really in England. Yeah. And he already has his suspicions, obviously. And that's when, you know, uh, our buddy there, uh, George Pastel, he's uh, Mahet Bay. He kind of... Uh, goes back at him and says, you know, maybe you shouldn't even be in these countries digging through these tombs. These people are supposed to be sealed in there for life, you know? So that's some, that's a really good scene, those two jousting. Yeah, those two played off each other really well. And, uh, you know, they're both very, um, very strong actors in that scene. Uh, and they both make their points. There is a certain level of arrogance in... Cushing's response, but but he's trying, like you said, he's trying to needle him, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, he's trying to get a, a, a response out of him, trying to push him to say something. Um, but yeah, it was it was a very cat and mouse kind of thing going on, which was uh, 
ratcheted up the tension see like okay what's going to happen here you know is he going to attack him what's going to happen so yeah that was a cool scene although you it's sort of like why the hell would he go up there by himself but, <laughs> you know he's a brave guy i guess so fulfill ye now the will of the lord god karnak for this dreadful profanity karis was sentenced to have his tongue cut from his mouth so that the cries he would utter during the fate that awaited him should not offend the ears of the gods. <laughs> Death was not for Caris, nor was life. For his sins, he was sentenced to remain for all time on guard near the body of his princess. He was buried alive, in a secret tomb specially prepared for him. Yeah. Figure. Yeah. And then I did remember too that character, George Pastel. I guess I knew he'd been in some other Hammer. And the ones I remembered him from was The Stranglers of Bombay, which came out that very same year. And then he was actually in one of the sequels, The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. And I thought, I don't remember him in that one. So I'm going to have to go back and watch that again just <laughs> to see there. But yeah, he was, uh, I guess I knew he was in at least two or three more films. But yeah, oh, he's really good. Him and Cushing really go at each other. I love that. You know, Cushing does end up leaving and he's like, yeah, I know he's going to come get me now. And again, that very night, you know, the police are there trying to like watch over the house because, you know, Cushing said to them, hey, it's going to happen. Like he's coming to get me tonight. And, uh, he does. And they start taking out the, you know, the people guarding the house, the police you, one by one here. You know, one thing, though, that, I, I found amusing. Speaking of uh, Michael Ripper, um, I think there was a couple of times there where he's, I guess, doing his poaching thing. Mm -hmm. Like he's out in the bushes and he would see the mummy walk by and the reactions on like his face, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's, he sees the mummy coming around. And I think, I think he did get clobbered that last time. Uh, although hopefully not, killed but um it was just kind of you know it was a little nice goofy touch in the middle of this like uh, serious horror film <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, there were a couple of scenes, like I said, when I said about the earlier, it's the two drunk guys and just like two or three bits of humor thrown in there. The rest of the movie was pretty serious. But yeah, that Michael Ripper, I love that guy. Every time I see him <laughs> in one of their movies, I know it's going to be just a little bit better than if he wasn't in it. So I love that character. He's mm-hmm. he just, you know, that actor, he's a great, great character actor. I love him. But uh, yeah, so the mummy does show up and him and Mahetmet start uh, taking out, you know, the police and, you know, so it can be just uh, banning inside the house and the mummy comes smashing. What a great scene that is, too. There's, you know, two glass doors with like yep. these, you know, curtains on them and smash. He kicks them right in, smashes right through them and, you know, eventually starts trying to choke the life out of uh, banning here. But then his wife comes in and, like you said, of course, the mummy looks at her and thinks, hey, wait a minute, that looks like the princess. And that's enough to get him to pause. And Mahetmet comes in and he's like, kill her, kill her. He's trying to make the mummy kill her. And when he sees he won't do it, that's bad the uh, scene. Yeah, yeah, that's the scene you alluded to earlier. That's a little graphic. Oh, that's yeah. a bad one. Oh. Mm. Yeah, he wasn't having any of that. And uh, Lee is just so big. I, I've read a yeah. few different things, either six foot four, six foot five. But I mean, he has this long torso and I don't know if they padded out the chest, but he's he just looks like such a huge imposing mm-hmm. guy as the mummy and when he grabs bay he i mean it, it's just like breaking a chicken wing or something it was just like <laughs> oh my god i, I mean mm-hmm. and i think i imagined more than what was on the screen you know but he he goes to ba- break his back and Oof. then you see um uh, uh yvonne Furneaux's reaction and it's just things like that where you know you have the the action and the reaction and it's like mm-hmm. you know it um creates that an even bigger thing in your head than what was on the screen you know yeah so i always remember that scene uh and i knew it was coming again when i watched it this time and i was like oh he's gonna he's gonna do it he's gonna do it <laughs> it's like oh so mm-hmm. yeah that that one always sticks out yeah that scene is interesting because when he actually does the breaking of the guy's back, you don't hear like a crack or anything no. like that. But the music crescendos like right at that oh. second. So it kind of gives it a little more oomph when you're watching it. It's like you know, really, you know, really loud, like oomph of the music right at that part where it's like breaking. It's like, oh, man, that really adds to it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, it's a good scene. Yeah, that's a really good one. So, you know, then yeah. Uh, like you said, uh, Isabel, then, you know, of course she faints now. Hey, I'd probably faint too. listen. If I saw a mummy just break some dudes back. So no, not no bad on her, but, uh, the mummy picks her up and, you know, heads off with her and they're all thinking like, well, I should say they're all, all that's left is banning. And then the, uh, the police officer, the head guy, mm-hmm. he's, that's all that's left at this point. Uh, inspector Mulrooney. And there's some townsfolk, I guess, that were rounded up very quickly because they all kind of chase the mummy down but he has you know isabel so they don't want to shoot at him and they're trying to figure out you know how can we get her away from him so we can shoot him which again at this point he's been shot a bunch of times already and it didn't even really phase him so yeah i'm not sure about that but uh, <laughs> he kind of takes her into the the swamp there into the you know it almost looks like quicksand or something at one point but mm-hmm. you know she does uh urge him to yeah to put her down and as soon as he puts her down, you know, everybody starts shooting and, you know, it's a bit of a tragic scene there. And he's got the scroll in his hand and, you know, he slowly, slowly submerges into the uh, the bog and 
that's the end of our mummy and that's the the last uh, scene of the film yeah boy and i i like the way they did the submergence too because he doesn't go straight down his arm kind of moves a little bit back and forth and then goes down it's Mm -hmm. i don't know there's just something about the way that they executed that scene that it's it's just kind of cool how he kind of it's almost like he i don't know if he's sliding down or something but his arm goes one way and then comes back and then goes under and i don't know it was mm-hmm. definitely um memorable but yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of like well you, you've already put a few holes in him i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it else? is yeah shot him a few times at point blank range with a shotgun too or a rifle of some kind it was that was a really cool effect when you know at one point uh cushing's character banning shot him and it, mm-hmm. i'm not sure how they did that special effect it almost looked like there was something in the chest of the mummy and it burst outward it was interesting yeah i think they had a squib or something placed in there and i think that's why they said that uh lee had suffered from powder burns because i think they yeah. wired up a squib underneath the in the costume and it exploded out but it probably burned like hell <laughs> yeah yeah because it was in his like upper chest area too which right. would be not far from your face wow so, mm, yeah so that guys was were tough man they just you know like oh you want to <laughs> yeah. you want to blow something up on my chest okay <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i i can't imagine they said no to a lot of things which is you know that's that's a, a, a kudos to them maybe there are sometimes you know we know there were some pretty bad accidents and even deaths and, you know, films from stunts and things like oh, that. Yeah. But overall, I mean, a lot of these people like, you know, you got to know there's always some danger of something bad happening or going wrong. And they were still up for it. So, you know, that kudos to them. Well, you know, they were they were tough guys. I I'm not sure about Cushing. I know Lee was uh, a fighter in World War Two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know those guys they went through a lot so i'm sure when they were asked you know to well we're going to make a movie it probably all just seemed like a lark to them so yeah they probably had a good time i can't imagine they weren't (laughs) having fun on this set especially when it was cushing and lee you know once they started to become very good friends you know uh, i'm sure it was just like all right i get to work with him this is great (laughs) yeah i i uh, have read they had quite a, a friendship so yeah for sure for sure but yeah so that was it so that was uh, the mummy 1959 but yeah that's a really good one anybody that hasn't seen this one you got to get out there and see this one it is mm-hmm. really it's you know i hate to use the underrated term so i'll think of something else to say here maybe it's you know <laughs> overlooked maybe we'll yeah. say overlooked because like i said it's everybody thinks of cushing and lee as you know dr frankenstein and dracula but this one kind of gets pushed to the wayside a bit and it really shouldn't because it's a really really good film it is. It's it's really good. It's got some great action. Um, it's you know it's a tight little story because it's just a revenge story. You know, there's three three guys that that the mummy is going after. It's it's not a, a big story in the sense that it's not you know something all like a James Bond where it's all over the world. It all takes place in essentially the the same spot pretty much except for the egyptian flashbacks but um you know it's got good characters it's 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 got uh, an, a good motivation for for the revenge and um yeah if if you want to see a mummy that really will scare the crap out of you then this is the one mm-hmm. um, 
because boy, he's not he's not going to give up. And like you said, he doesn't really know like how to use a doorknob. He just tears the door plane <laughs> out of the wall. Yeah, kicks it uh, right in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's shockingly uh, uh, brutal. And uh, but you know that it's just such typical hammer stuff because mm-hmm. like as a kid i would watch the universal monster films and i enjoyed them but they never really scared me but when i watched the hammer films it was almost always with like one eye closed you know i'd have my mm-hmm. hand over my face because it was like you never knew if somebody's arm was going to get torn off or mm-hmm. you know there was always blood kind of squirting everywhere and it was the hammer films were you know a, a little rougher so uh, it makes yeah. sense that this mummy is is you know a little bit tougher than the uh, Lon Chaney or uh, who was it Tom Tyler I think was in one of them too. Carl, and of course Karloff. Karloff. Yeah. Karloff yeah. didn't really get to walk no. around as the mummy that much. He did the Ardeth Bay thing. Yeah, yeah. This is one too that it hasn't come out on Blu-ray yet in the U.S. Like there's been. A lot of Hammer, I shouldn't say a lot, but a few Hammer films that, you know, have been getting the Blu-ray treatment lately in the United mm-hmm. States. And that this is one that hasn't come out yet. You know, you can buy it, you know, on a DVD. I'm not sure what year it came out, but, you know, you can find copies of it here and there. But Yeah, I have it I, on DVD. Yeah, and I'm sure it's a good copy, but I know they've really been doing great restoration work. Um, uh, a good buddy of ours, Mike from Comics in the Golden Age, he's... Oh. Uh, grabbed a couple of uh, the new uh, Hammer uh, DVD Blu-rays that have been put out. And he said, you know, they're incredible. Like, great extras. The picture quality is just out of this world with the restoration they did on them. Yeah, I'd love to see them do that with this. Mm, Yeah. I know for sure he watched uh, the Curse of Frankenstein because he and I talked about that film. (laughs) By the the time everybody's going to hear this, that one will be out anyway. No (laughs) no spoilers. uh, no spoilers here, but uh, yeah, he got a Blu-ray copy of that, and yeah, he said it's real nice. And I did see uh, um, a uh, guy that I know; he's a real good artist. Mark Maddox is his name. Oh he does, yeah, yeah, he does a lot of the covers for them too, and he does an excellent job. The guy's an incredible artist. Yeah, he he is fantastic. Wow, yeah, he's something else. But yeah, he's. I should ask him. Be like, hey, any insider info? Is this coming out on Blu-ray, sir? Mm-hmm. He'd <laughs> but, probably be uh, the one to know. Yeah, so yeah, definitely at least grab a DVD or, you know, I'm sure it's streaming somewhere to Amazon or wherever. But uh, yeah, if this comes out, I think I wish they would come out with a box set of stuff because they did have a box set in the UK that came out years ago of Hammer DVDs. And they all did, you know, they did a good job with them, uh, but it must have sold out rather quickly because it, I think a hundred and some dollars is the cheapest I've seen them going for, you know, and you figure that's used and it's wow. like, wow. Holy smokes. Like it's, yeah. I think it's like 20 movies, which is great, but man, a hundred some dollars for a set is just, and then of course it's region two. So, you know, you have to have a region free player to be right. able to play it, <laughs> which I do not. So that's why I'm just like, you know, I think I'm going to invest, invest in a really nice, a pretty good quality Blu-ray player and start grabbing these Blu-rays when they come out, because I just feel like it's, if you don't get them when, you know, by the time it goes out of print, you're going to be in big trouble. Cause they'll be, mm-hmm people on the secondary market will ask huge amounts of money for them and they're not going to do them again anytime soon. 
Yeah, there's just certain films you want to get as soon as you can. And, you know, sometimes you're lucky and you'll have somebody like a Criterion or a Shout Factory do a film and that you, you know, you haven't been able to get a hold of. But, you know, you just never know when that's going to happen. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's how I got my Quatermass in the pit. I'd been mm. dying for years and years. Like, how come I can't get a hold of this in the U.S.? And then uh, Shout Factory did a, a version a couple of years ago um, on Blu-ray. So um, when I saw that, it was like, yes, please. I hit the button right away. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, this is one I would definitely love to have on Blu-ray. I, I'd actually like to get probably all the early mm-hmm. Hammer horror films on Blu-ray. My, my Hammer collection is very... Um, it's very hit or miss right now because I bought like a uh, box set that was kind of nonsensically arranged and doesn't have a lot of the early films. And so, yeah, it it would be nice to get, uh, get those Blu-rays as they come out. So I'll have to look into that. Um, Yeah. I feel like people are finally coming around to the fact that there's a a market for this kind of stuff. You know, it's not that you're going to print 5 million, you know, Mm-hmm. Blu-rays or anything like that and sell out. But, it, you know, if you do a sort of fairly limited run of them, they will sell out. And you can, you know, some of these right. Blu-rays, you know, they're going for 30 bucks. So mm-hmm. even on a limited run, you can sell 30 bucks a Blu-ray. That's, you know, you're going to make some money there. Yeah. No, for so. sure. I think in the collector market, you, you know, mm-hmm. it's strong enough to support that kind of thing. And, I, and, and it's not like I don't think there's a huge amount of work that they would have to do. It's not like um, some of these things, like I know right now they're redoing um, Star Trek, the motion picture for a new release. And they're having to go in and redo some of the effects and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, then you really do want to make some money back on it. Yeah. (laughs) Think about that. But yeah, some of these other films, I mean, um, if they've still got, uh, the original uh, uh, film or, or uh, negatives or whatever it is they want to work from, they should be able to put together a pretty good Blu-ray. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's just a matter of having that good, you know, decent original print, you know, and then yeah. they can go from there and do that restoration work. And yeah, they can do some really awesome stuff with that. And hey, the more, believe me, I would love for them to do everything, every. <laughs> do some restoration or get some DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever out on every obscure film just so I could have them. Cause sometimes you can't always find them streaming and sometimes well, they don't pop up on the YouTubes of the world and stuff like that. They're really hard to find. Exactly. I mean, this is the thing, uh, you know, sometimes people are surprised by the amount of, um, you know, actual DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff that I still have, but mm-hmm. You know, for the kind of stuff that I want to watch and probably same for you, the kind of stuff you want to watch, you know, a lot of it is not on any of the streaming services. So, um, yeah, you know, I need to hold on to this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just it's not always easy to find some of these things. Um, And it gets very frustrating when you want to watch something and you realize it's not on any of the streaming services. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I was I wanted to watch uh, Colossus, the Forbin project the other day, and I looked around and I'm, I had like four different services and nobody had it. I was like, come on, mm. this is crazy. So, yeah, yeah. I, I will always keep my my original uh, hard copies of everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Believe yeah. me, I, I was just talking to somebody about that the other day, how uh, I before I realized you know, it's not really something you own totally. I bought maybe about eight or maybe 10 films digitally. Mm-hmm. And again, that was before I realized, you know, when you read the fine print, it basically says that, uh, you know, if the actual owner of the film, you know, says, okay, you're not, you can't have this film to distribute via your streaming service anymore you lose it. It's gone. Like they, yeah. still, you know, so I bought, like I say, eight or maybe eight or 10 movies from, uh, iTunes. And I'm thinking, you know, sitting here biting my nails thinking, okay, when's the day I'm going to try to pop that in and, you know, watch it. And it's going to be like, it's gone. And, uh, that drives me crazy. Cause you, 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 you air quotes bought the movie. You didn't rent it. I know. I, uh, uh I, I had a similar situation with iTunes years ago. I bought like, I think three or four movies and I think three of them disappeared. <laughs> oh. like, okay. I'm not doing this anymore. Nope. So, yeah. yeah. No, I'll even buy a bootleg before I do that. anymore. <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest. Yeah. I want to, I don't want to buy a bootleg necessarily, but if that's the choice I have between that and buying it from, you know, a service like iTunes, who's just going to take it away from me, possibly, or have it taken away from them, however you want to word it. Yeah, no thanks. I'm not going down that road. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, I think streaming services work for the average person. If you want to watch a big Hollywood blockbuster, that's fine. But if I want to see Half Human, then <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to pull out my DVD that a friend of mine burned for me eight years ago because <laughs> nowhere else can I see that movie. So. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's something to be said for holding on to the uh, the hard hard copies, holding on to your discs and everything else. So, yep, absolutely. Yep. Don't let them go. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Karen. Well, thanks for coming on here. So, if anybody is looking for you out there, where can they find you if they want to follow up here? Well, for once, Billy, I'm actually prepared. the third time is the charm Mm -hmm. so i'm pretty active on twitter and you can find me at walker underscore km Mm -hmm. Uh, and then also you know i do podcast with uh, my pals larry and bob on the planet eight podcast which is i don't know i think we're on just about every app that i'm aware of right Mm -hmm. now and uh we have a, uh, a a Twitter feed as well. That's at Planet Eight, the number eight cast. So if anybody wants to check that out, um, please do so. We also have a, a website that's Planet Eight, the number eight podcast dot com, uh, and we uh, we just talk about all the crazy stuff that I think we all love. You know, sci-fi and fantasy and horror. Mm-hmm. films and tv shows and uh anything in that general genre so uh yeah if anybody's interested in that i hope they will check us out 
Yeah, you guys put stuff out on the regular, too. It's not like one of these shows that only, you know, pops up once every six months in a, a, <laughs> a podcatcher. You guys you guys definitely make an effort to at least get something out once a month, sometimes even twice a month, I think. Yeah, I feel we like. do. We do twice yeah. a month. So, um, yeah, usually on the 8th and the 22nd. Don't ask me why those dates. That's just the way it is. <laughs> no, hey, any kind of a schedule is good, whether it's every Friday, every Monday, or every 8th and 22nd. The schedule is what it's all about. Yeah, trying to just make sure that uh, people know it's it's out there and, you know, oh, yeah, hey, it's the 8th. And then hopefully they just realize it's about every two weeks. So mm-hmm. we uh, we put out a show and try to keep it to about an hour but sometimes it's a little more than that so oh i know how that is when you get some uh, geeky people in a room to talk about something look out it, <laughs> it can sometimes go on forever <laughs> oh yes as, as we both know yes yeah and you know anytime that happens though somebody like me has no problem with that because the long commuters like myself oh, we love long podcasts so keep them coming and <laughs> the longer the yeah. better <laughs> well, so. hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully we're all entertaining uh, each other and mm-hmm. who knows who else out there as they commute, go to the gym or whatever else mm-hmm. they're doing. Absolutely. So, all right, Karen. Well, yeah, if anybody out there is looking for Karen, go look her up on Twitter. And uh, like I said, uh, you know, she said Planet 8 podcast. Look that up, too, and, you know, download some episodes and start listening. So, all right. Once again, thank you, Karen, for coming on. I appreciate this. And. You know, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to, uh, you were saying about Quatermass. Maybe we can talk Quatermass, or maybe we can talk about one of the sequels to this film. I don't know. We'll have to brainstorm here. Yeah, well, I'm always up mm-hmm. for another uh, conversation. Quatermass would be awesome, but I'm sure there's a lot of other films that uh, we uh, intersect on that, you know, mm-hmm. Venn diagram. So always up for a, another talk. But I had a great time, Billy. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, absolutely. So everybody stay tuned and I will be back in a minute after a promo to wrap things up. Okay, everybody, that wraps up this episode. Uh, Once again, I want to thank Karen for being on. Great guest, a lot of fun to have her on and we're definitely going to talk some more Hammer in the future. Probably Quatermass uh, in the pit. Not 100% sure on that, but probably that one. And uh, hopefully we'll get that one out here uh, over the summer sometime as well. And keep uh, rolling with the uh, hammer theme here for a little while. And, you know, maybe uh, heading towards uh, October and Halloween. Jump around to a couple other uh, movies. But definitely want to crank out a lot of hammer this year because uh, my favorite studio. So thanks, everybody, for listening in. And uh, talk to you next time. See ya.